This week, there was some pretty significant news with New York State easing mask restrictions in most public spaces. While there are some exceptions, the guidance, which aligns with the CDC, looks like this. If you're fully vaccinated, you can ditch the masks in most circumstances. There are some exceptions, but the change health experts say is a play to get more people vaccinated. Will it work? That remains to be seen. But the incentive is clear and there for people who aren't vaccinated at this time. Today, about that, our conversation with Dr. Nancy Bennett, who leads the Finger Lake vaccine task force. All right. Uh, Dr. Bennett, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, before we get into the where are we now portion of this conversation, give us a bit of an overview of the COVID-19 vaccine task force on a regional basis and what its sort of purpose was to start. Thank you. The task force uh, was established right at the beginning of our efforts to vaccinate the Finger Lakes region, and it's comprised of uh, representatives from all over our community. Almost any uh, population you can think of is represented on the task force. And the idea was to really have a very broad group that could establish policy and could support the efforts to get everyone in our region vaccinated. And has that that mission sort of evolved as uh, the progress in vaccinating the region has sort of uh, moved a certain direction? Definitely. Um, in the very beginning, uh, we were managing uh, very high demand with low supply of vaccine, and it was very hard and, and, and painful. Um, however, we are now in an entirely different situation where we have very high supply of vaccine and low demand. And that's sort of where this conversation, of course, is going. And one of the reasons why we're talking today. Um, but where give us a bit of a snapshot, if you could. Obviously, it's we're in the middle of May. Uh, where does the region stand right now in terms of vaccination? What percentage of the population are we talking about having received either one or both doses? So at the moment, about 40% of our population over the age of 16 has received both doses. They are fully vaccinated, either one dose with Johnson & Johnson or two doses with Pfizer or Moderna. Um, about uh, almost 60% have received at least one dose. So we're doing very well, but things have slowed down dramatically in the last few weeks. And we're having trouble filling appointments. We're not seeing as many walk-ins. And we're very worried about whether or not we can actually reach our goals. And obviously, I want to get into the hesitancy a little bit and some of the things we've heard and kind of debunking some of that. But um, first things first, do do you guys have a firm idea or sort of even if it's geography based uh, on who isn't getting vaccinated? or at least who's getting uh, where there is less vaccination happening? Or is this kind of like a region-wide issue and it's just playing out in every community? Yeah, we have um, data, which anyone can take a look at on the flvaccinehub.org website, uh, which shows vaccine status by zip code. And those data have helped us a lot to pinpoint where the issues are. Um, And what we see is we 
do see lower vaccination rates in a number of our more rural counties, as well as some lower vaccination rates in the inner city. Uh, so those are really the two areas that we've been focused on. And um, there are really two aspects to this. One is where are vaccine clinics located? Like people would like to go somewhere in their neighborhood. They really don't want to travel long distances. Um, so that's one focus is can we take the vaccine to the people instead of asking the people to come to the vaccine? Um, the second aspect is demand and choice. And how can we encourage people to want to get vaccinated? You know, it's like field of dreams. You can build it, but they won't necessarily come unless they want to. Yeah. And so um, so we're really trying to work on both sides of that equation. We're really trying to um, make sure that we have lots of opportunities for people to get vaccinated in their neighborhoods. Um, but also really trying to talk to people about what is causing them to be concerned about getting vaccinated, trying to reassure them um, about the safety of vaccination, uh, the effectiveness, also trying to point out that the world is going to change and most people are going to be vaccinated and the expectation is going to be that people need to be vaccinated. So we need to kind of get to a place where it's the norm rather than unusual. And I'm curious, what has the feedback been like as you as the the task force has sort of evolved that education and outreach component? Um, what has the feed, uh, feedback been like in some of those places where you've had challenges over the last four or five, six months? Yeah, um, one of our partners, Common Ground Health, has done an amazing amount of work getting out into the field and talking to people and trying to understand what their concerns are. Um, and they really have focused in on the same things I mentioned, which is really location and, you know, the the um, convenience of getting vaccinated, plus being in a place where you feel comfortable. You know, frankly, going to the dome is not the most comfortable setting for many, many people. Um, so really, location is a critical aspect of this and, and access accessibility in that location. Also, another uh, really important point we've learned is that people need to hear about this vaccine from people they trust. So it's great for me to get on the radio and talk about how this is a great vaccine. You know, frankly, that does just doesn't cut it with lots of people. Lots of people want to hear from someone they trust. And the people they trust most are their doctors. And secondly, their family and friends. And so we really need to get the message out through um, every venue possible and every kind of person. I mean, every time I talk to a group, I go like, OK, you guys are the ambassadors. We all need to be out there talking about this and we need to be honest. We need to be transparent. We need to be clear. So those are, I think, the major lessons that we've learned from those interviews. And as a result, there's been a big pivot in strategy away from these large vaccine venues to, first of all, physicians' offices and trying to support physicians to be able to do this. It's not without complexity. Um, and then also to neighborhood-based places where people like to congregate, 
The third area that we heard about a little bit was incentives. And as you know, um, there was a clinic at Frontier Field where if you got vaccinated, you got a voucher for a free hot dog. Um, You know, we want to be careful about these incentives. We don't want to make everybody fat because we give them lots of donuts. But we do really, really want people to get vaccinated. And if if a little minor incentive will help them get over the hump, that's great. And and we should do that. So I'm curious, probably one of the most frequently asked questions that we get as news organization throughout this entire process is, when will my primary care doctor have the vaccine? When can I get the vaccine at my own doctor's office? Um, so I'm curious what your sort of thoughts are on that. But then the the second part of that, obviously the Finger Lakes especially has seen gigantic growth in urgent care facilities, and it's been driven by the lack of primary care doctors. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on those two components and how that's going to sort of shape what you guys have to do over the next three or four months. Yeah, those are both very important. Um, In terms of doctors, they can get vaccine now. When New York State started this process, um, they were up against demands from the federal government about how fast they get vaccine into people's arms. So in order for New York State to order a lot of vaccine, they had to use a lot of vaccine. Mm. And what that meant was that they uh, chose initially to focus on large vaccine venues, um, the dome, the convention center, you know, the state fairgrounds, those kinds of places. Um, and so they poured most of the vaccine into those uh, venues. Um, and that was really just so they could order more vaccine from the federal government. If they didn't use it, they weren't going to be able to get it. And so that was the pressure on all of us was to, to do that quickly. Now, um, I think there's recognition that the people who want want to get vaccinated at those large venues are vaccinated. And now it's time to move on to people who would rather get vaccinated in their doctor's office and rather hear about this from their doctor. So we're working very hard to try to figure out how to really help physicians' offices to do this. And for example, the counties and all of the counties in our region are very willing to redistribute vaccine to doctor's offices. So the doctors still have to sign up with New York State. Um, But once they've signed up, they don't have to take a huge order. That was a real barrier was, you know, having to order large amounts. Now they can just get a smaller amount reallocated from their county health department. And we hope that more and more doctors will start taking advantage of this. Um, In terms of urgent care, um, I, I think it's true that there are a lot of people who don't have primary care who use urgent care. Um, not as many as in lots of communities, actually. The, the number of people in our community who can name their doctor is very high, and that's a good thing. Um, but uh, but urgent cares are another place where we think it's valuable to offer vaccine, and I think a number of them are. Um, so, you know, it's really uh, anywhere that people are going to be, we should offer them vaccine. We need to have it everywhere, um, everywhere that makes it convenient, your grocery store, your pharmacy, your urgent care, your doctor's office, wherever, your fire station. (laughs) Yeah, literally anywhere we can possibly get it. So uh, looking forward a little bit, uh, when you, I'm going to throw a couple dates at you, uh, July 4th, the 4th of July, uh, and then Labor Day. When you hear those two dates, what what is your 
sort of uh, ideal outlook for what percentage of the population is vaccinated in this region anyway, by those points? Are there markers that you're looking for? Or is it sort of a week by week, even day by day thing that that just has to work itself out? Yeah, we are, you know, we are always modeling and trying to figure out, okay, how are we doing? You know, when are we going to get there? Whatever there is. But um, so initially when we were getting, um, when we had a lot of demand and we were starting to get enough vaccine to meet that demand, we were in perfect equilibrium for about a week, <laughs> maybe a little longer. But yeah. um, but at that point we modeled and we really thought that we would be done but with first doses by uh, the middle of June. So third week in June, first dose is done for 80% of the population over the age of, of uh, 16. And now with the demand drop off to the extent it has, we're looking at October. Oh, and wow. it is really discouraging. I mean, that's a, a pretty conservative estimate, but, um, you know, the demand has just dropped off enormously. Uh, last week, we had 15,000 doses uh, brought to our region for the week, and I'm not sure they were all used even. Um, and, you know, at our peak, we were getting 40,000 doses a week. So we're talking about a very large drop off and it, it's uh, very discouraging. And, you know, I just think everybody's 4th of July would be a lot more fun if everyone was vaccinated and we wouldn't have to worry about six feet and wearing masks and so forth. And, and same with Labor Day. So obviously that probably a few people listening to this right now that that might uh, feel a little bit like a, like a gut punch. Um, October is a long way away. It's a uh, long way. What does, how does that timeline then affect sort of the day-to-day uh, life, so to speak? And and to that end, and I'm asking this because I, I think for some people, it might be a little bit of motivation. Um, normal probably doesn't happen until uh, after October in that world, correct? Yeah, I, I think it's very difficult because I think that um, we're going to be in a kind of uh, mixed place, I think, all summer where there will be normal um, in some places. So, you know, if your family is vaccinated, um, you're normal, right? You're you're doing whatever you normally do with your family uh, over the summer. Um, if your workplace is vaccinated, you may be getting back to work uh, in the office. Uh, but again, it really depends on uh, how many people are vaccinated in your group. Um, I think that you know the fact is is that we can't look for normal if people aren't vaccinated because the disease is still with us and it is being transmitted every single day. Um, people are still getting hospitalized. People are still dying. Uh, there's a lot of uh, transmission now among young people, uh, and fortunately, they may not be as likely to be hospitalized or to die, but some of them will. And uh, also, they are continuing the transmission. And the problem with the continued transmission is that we know that variants arise and they arise in a setting where there's transmission. So if we keep transmitting this virus, we get more variants. And as we get variants, we get into a riskier and riskier place because some of those variants may be worse. They may be resistant to vaccine. 
Um, there are a lot of things to be concerned about if we allow transmission to continue to occur. What uh, What are the reasons that you are hearing most frequently among those who are hesitant still yet about the vaccine? I think uh, safety concerns have always been the most important. And I think that we have so much information now uh, about safety that it's astonishing. Uh, Millions and millions of people have received Pfizer and Moderna without any significant side effects. As everyone knows, a few weeks ago, uh, Johnson & Johnson uh, was paused because there were um, some side effects detected. However, those side effects were so rare. Uh, You know, the likelihood of developing one of those side effects was like one in a million. And I think that people need to understand that in life, there's always some risk. And while, you know, those cases were horrifying and very disturbing to everyone, they were also extraordinarily rare. And the risk of, uh, you know, contracting COVID and having a worse outcome is much, much greater than the risk of having one of those very rare side effects uh, because of Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So I think that the risk-benefit equation is very clear. I mean, there's no question that this vaccine will save lots of lives and it, you know, might cause a couple of side effects, but they're very, very rare. I mean, you know, when you get in your car to drive to get your vaccine, you're at much greater risk than having one of those side effects. And also something that I I saw pretty frequently in sort of the public response to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine being paused uh, because of those, what was a couple dozen uh, instances out of, you know, millions of doses administered. 15, uh, was, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> so far, anyway. <laughs> people weren't really understanding or didn't seem to grasp the fact that, you know, there are unfortunately side effects to virtually every medication and and supplement for that matter on the on the planet. Exactly. Uh, was, that, was that part of the public health response kind of missed? Because it seems like I didn't hear or seems like at least we didn't hear as much about that when it might have, you know, it might have staved off a little bit of that hesitancy that that picked up afterward. Yeah, I think you're right. It, I think we um, in this weird way, we got complacent or we got I don't know, because the Moderna and Pfizer, you know, we've given millions and millions of doses and seen nothing, yeah. which is just astonishing. And the fact that we picked up these six cases originally, it was six cases that created the pause. And that was six cases among 8 million, uh, sorry, 8 million doses. So it was really extraordinary that it was even noticed. And you're so right. I mean, everybody who takes a medicine every day is probably at higher risk for having a side effect of that medicine than you are from having a side effect from this vaccine. So uh, Pfizer is in the process now, I believe, and you'd probably know better than I, uh, of seeking out full approval, get the full 100% complete approval from the federal government. What effect do you think that has on uh, vaccination efforts 
Does that help cut into some of the hesitancy uh, among that population that is holding off right now? I hope so. Um, I don't know how much people, you know, are into the specifics of, you know, emergency use authorization versus full approval. Um, But I hope it will help. Um, And I hope just hearing that it's fully approved uh, will will make people comfortable about it. I think also um, the uh, making the vaccine available for children is incredibly important and will help us a lot in reducing transmission. Um, you know, it's 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 just hard to know what's holding people back. One of the things we noticed was that there was a very different population that wanted Johnson and Johnson initially. Um, it was really clear that there were lots of people who felt, you know, I want one and done. I do not want to have to go back for a second dose. And they also maybe like Johnson and Johnson because it was a household name. I, I don't know exactly what, but there was definitely a large population that wanted Johnson and Johnson. And that was really undermined by the pause. And we just really want to get the word out again and again and again about how rare this complication is and the likelihood that um, everyone who gets Johnson and Johnson in our region will be fine. Um, you know, that's just the numbers. Uh, so, you know, it's it's um, I think that that what we should be really grateful for is the fact that we have such a good surveillance system that we picked up this very rare side effect and know that that surveillance system is being applied to Pfizer and Moderna, and we're not picking up anything. So I think it's, you know, it's good news all around, but I understand why why it's hard to view it that way because that's, you know, it's a scary complication. So I want to get into that a little more because uh, that was definitely one of the big pieces of feedback that we saw, at least on social media, when we would post stories about vaccine clinics, um, folks pretty quickly saying, well, I'm going to hold off until there's a Johnson & Johnson clinic. They want that one shot. They want that one and done. Is that going to be an, do you think that could be an important piece of the puzzle in terms of getting the next 30 to 40 percent vaccinated as we look through the summer and into the fall, having access to uh, good access to not two dose uh, vaccines, but one dose vaccines. I hope so. I really, really hope so, because I do think the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is excellent. I think it's safe. I think it's effective. And I really hope that people will take advantage of it. Um, You know, what's happening now is that we are seeing some people who are saying, no, I don't, I don't want Johnson and Johnson. Um, and they certainly have the right to do that. Um, you know, I, I, but I really hope that many other people will understand that, that, uh, this is a safe vaccine. It's really a phenomenal vaccine and that they will go ahead and get it and be happy to be done. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to run through uh, a few of the pieces of feedback that we've gotten. And I'd like to give you the opportunity to respond to some of the common things that we're hearing here. Sure. Um, first and probably foremost, the the idea that if you get the vaccine, there's a chance you could get COVID, which believe it or not, is something that we're still seeing pretty regularly on social media, despite our best efforts to uh, tamp that out. Uh, there are people who think that they will get COVID from getting the vaccine. Uh, please oh. explain to us how this is absolutely not the case. That is absolutely impossible. <laughs> um, it's just not, it's just like we used to um, talk about the flu shot. People 
ways to believe they got the flu from the flu shot. It's simply not possible. Uh, you know, the Pfizer and Moderna are uh, one form of technology. The Johnson and Johnson is another. But in both cases, there's no virus in that vaccine that could infect you. So it's just not possible to get uh, uh, the virus from the vaccine. What people do get is symptoms analogous to having uh, the virus. So uh, many people notice that the day after they get either their Johnson & Johnson or their second dose, especially of Moderna or Pfizer, um, they find that they have a little fever, they have some aches and pains, they might have a headache, um, lasts for a few hours. I mean, I, in my case, I had a little bit of nothing. I took some Motrin and went to bed. And that was that. <laughs> Next morning, I woke up great. Um, so I think, you know, that 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 is something that um, causes some confusion because of those symptoms. But those symptoms, what those symptoms mean is that your immune system is working. You are responding to that vaccine, developing immunity so that you won't be able to get COVID. Mm -hmm. And those side effects, uh, even some of the folks who have said, look, I, I, you know, I know someone who felt sick for 36 hours or 48 hours or two or three or four days. And uh, how do you, what is your response to those folks and also uh, those who are frankly scrolling through Facebook and seeing a lot of uh, misinformation about what the side effects are actually like. What, how do you have that conversation? Yeah, I think you just have to talk about it honestly. And, 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 you know, every person is very individual in the way they respond to anything in their environment. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not going to be the same for everyone. My husband had no side effects whatsoever from his second dose of vaccine. Um, I had this brief interlude. Um, you know, there probably are people who feel crummy for a couple of days. Um, it's just individual variation. And again, it just means it's working, which is really good news. Um, so, uh, you know, what we are not seeing are any uh, big complications. And that's so reassuring. I mean, there's not uh, anything bad happening as a result of these vaccines other than what we know about with the Johnson and Johnson. And again, so rare. Mm -hmm. um, what is the I, I'm curious, because it seems like at least from uh, the folks I've talked to, um, in my own in my own orbit, in my own circle, uh, younger people are having more of a reaction if they are going to have if they are going to feel anything. Um, it, it tends to be the under forties, the under thirties, and whereas you know most of the uh, fifty plus population that you know that I've come into contact with, they didn't even they didn't even really have a sore arm to to speak of afterward. Is there actual sort of uh, data or evidence that you guys have seen that supports that, or is that just sort of it's all case by case. Um, I, I haven't seen, um, <clears throat> you know, really clear cut data about all of the range of side effects at this point, although I'm sure that that's available. Um, but we do know that young people mount a more robust immune response than older people. So there's a certain amount of um, what we call senescence. Um, I hate that word, but <laughs> I feel like I'm in my senescent period or whatever. <laughs> but, um, there is there is a certain amount 
of um, falling off of the strength of your immune response as you get older. So it is not unlikely that that younger people may have stronger reactions to the vaccine. Having said that, my three daughters, who are all in their late 20s, early 30s, um, really didn't have much of a reaction and they're very healthy. So, um, you know, a little bit of headache, a little bit of muscle aches, but nothing much. So, so my last very individual. Yeah. And my last question for you as we wrap this up here, obviously appreciate the time, but uh, what does the next phase look like? What is the next two to three months? What will the the task force be focusing on and what can uh, people who are and are not vaccinated expect to hear over that period as we get into summer and then eventually fall? I think what everyone can expect is um, that we're going to be going more grassroots. Um, We really need to get into communities. We need to talk to people and we need to work with um, community based organizations, whatever they may be uh, across our whole region. And so I think that, um, you know, there will be more opportunity to have one on one conversations. I think there will be more opportunity to get a vaccine at a place you feel most comfortable, whether it's, you know, your school, your firehouse, your doctor's office. Um, I think we're really going to be trying to figure out how to uh, go to the people, help the people to make an informed decision and really make it easy to access vaccine. All right, Dr. Bennett, thank you so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. 